My name is Skin and you're listening to another episode of Skin Things. Thank you for following, thank you for rating, liking, commenting and just taking the time to listen. It's much appreciated. This episode is an exciting one for me so I'm not going to beat about the bush here. I'm just going to get straight into things by saying here is the brilliant Joan Armitrady. I wanted to talk to you so much because to be really honest, I just feel that Joan Armour Trading has just not get does not get the dues and does not get the respect. I mean, you were the first of all of us, the most successful black British female artist in England, the first before Sade, before Skagenancy, before all of us. Um, and internationally as well. So, I mean, it's just for me such a freaking honor <laughs> to have you and to be able to chat to you. I'm just delighted you said yes to that. So I was just going to just fed out for a minute there. How's your lockdown? How is it all going there, there where you are? I think it's, it's, it's hard for everybody. I don't think there's an exception anywhere. I know, I know sometimes people want to separate rich from not so rich to maybe a little bit richer to poor to very poor. I don't think there's an exception that this pandemic hasn't touched. There, there's yeah. no exception. Yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's still, it doesn't have like a little like radar, like, oh no, not them, they're rich. No, it's just, that's the thing about viruses, isn't it, an illness. But for me, my silver lining um, as an artist is the first time I've had a regular schedule. I get up, I work out, I work in my, you know, have my lunch, do my office stuff and I stop at six and then I just do whatever I want to do, Netflix or whatever I want to do in the evening. And I don't work, I try not to work on weekends unless I'm like trawling for music, trying to find music for things. So is that the same for you or basically you, I mean, as musicians, we're kind of set up to have two years off, three years off, and then we go out and record, right? Yes. Um, I, I, do I work like that? So I suppose I kind of work like that, but I, I like to write, so I write quite a lot. Only, how do I say this? I write quite a lot, but I write a lot when I want to write a lot. Yes. But the yeah. So sometimes I'll be, I'll be writing lots, 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 and I'll have months where I don't write. But if I'm writing and I'm making an album, then I want people to hear it. So then obviously a tour would happen. Yeah. Um, I just before the pandemic decided that I didn't want to do very extensive tours anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tour before the last one, and I think the tour before that, there were like 18 months. And so 18 months is a long time. Was that 235 dates you had that time? I mean, that's long. That's long. <laughs> I, I'm sort of used to it. But I just decided I wanted to stop when I was still enjoying touring. Not not stop. I don't want to never do a live concert. And I wanted to stop when I was thinking, oh yeah, New York. Not oh, New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's just a matter of uh, you know, whenever a, a gig is going to happen, then that's going to be. yeah. But as I said before, I wanted to talk to you because I don't feel that Joan Armour Trading gets the dues. I just feel like there's, I don't think a lot of people quite understand how massive you um, you were. I mean, before Sade, before Skunk and Nancy, I'm going to read some stuff out here. First British black female to achieve proper British success and then international success. 21 albums, right? Uh, triple Grammy nominee, Brit Award nominee many times over, Ivan Novella winner, Lifetime Achievement Awards, MBE, CBE. You've also produced a lot of records. How many instruments do you play? I know it's piano and guitar, drums? 
uh, I can play drums, but I tend not to play them on the uh, album. On the record. So I program them. And then on top of that, you know, one of the, I mean, incredible blues guitarists and jazz guitarists and just, inc- I mean, I saw some early footage. On one point, you're just, you're all in white, you're standing on stage and you're just ripping the guitar to shreds. And uh, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's an ovation guitar you play. And I was just like, you know, people don't realise how influential and um, how influential to somebody like me and all of us that you were. I mean, it's like they'll talk about some, we know everything about some average Britpop band, but not enough about Joan Armour Trading. So from, well, why do you think that is that? Do you think it's just because it's like somebody like me, I was doing something, I was doing rock music. They didn't know how to talk to me. I didn't fit into a box. So they were like, oh, they're going to go and talk to some someone else because it's easier and they, it, it, like they fit into the box. How do you feel about that? What do you think why that is? It's, you know, again, it's very difficult for me to, to give an answer to what you just said. It's not my place to say that. Mm. It's somebody's place to say that. Um, but your, your writings, the things that you said, uh, I, I've not been boastful, but I play really good electric right. guitar. Right. And that is, that's just a fact. <laughs> um, I write a lot of songs. Um, I produce everything. I play everything. Um, and uh, I was the, the first singer-songwriter, not just black, but the first singer-songwriter female from the UK that... That, that did well um, with their own songs. Yeah. Other, other female artists had done well internationally, but not singing their own songs. That's the difference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of people, uh, I don't know, taking notice. I, I can't get into those things. You know, I, I need to concentrate on what I'm doing. I need to concentrate on writing the best songs I possibly can so everybody will say, she's one of the best songwriters there is. That's, that's what I'm yeah. after. I, I, I can say all the other stuff, but what I want them to say is, listen to that song by Joan Army Trading. It's one of the best songs I've ever heard. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want. I want them to look at this song. I, I totally relate to it. It, it summed up this particular bit of my life. I wish I'd been able to find those words to express this feeling that I was having, and Joan's done it. That's, I, yeah. I want nothing more. <laughs> Beautifully said. Um, I mean, tell me about um, those early influences. I mean, I know that you first started, um, I think your mum bought you a piano as a piece of furniture, and you were like, I'm going to just that was it you just exploded from that but what kind of music were you listening to before that I mean obviously like me you didn't have control of the the radio sometimes I used to sneak and change the channel no the 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 thing that I was into when I was growing up actually and I still am was comedy very very much into comedy so some of the names I've mentioned people won't have heard of uh, um, because it's a long time ago but it was the clear old kid around the horn beyond that ken uh, sorry, I'll read that again. All the uh, all those kind of um, itmar, you know, all those weird yeah. things. And I used to love comedy, and I, I actually used to write jokes. <laughs> and <laughs> when my mom got the piano, and and I used to write uh, limericks as well. I immediately started to write songs, and yeah. and the limericks and lyrics. Yeah, um, it was just it was just a natural thing. I mean, nobody. Told me to do it. Nobody showed me how to do it. But but the beauty of a piano, as you would know, is no matter where you sit on it, <laughs> it's going to make yeah. a nice sound. 
Yeah. You, you hit one note, two, two notes, three notes, no matter what you do, it's going to make a nice sound. Yeah. And that I found really interesting was that I could just mess about and make something that I thought sounded good enough for me to put some lyrics to. I mean, even yeah. when I started the guitar, it was the same kind of thing. I wouldn't know that I was playing a C chord or, or a D chord. I didn't know. I just knew it sounded good. And then mm. later on, you get to get in a book that tells you this is a C chord and this is a D chord. But initially, it was just messing about. Mm. Um, and I just found very, uh, very natural at it. It didn't, uh, it, I mean, you know, I've said it before, but I can't take any credit for what I do because I did nothing to get it. <laughs> All I did was be born. <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> oh, I think that's a very underrated thing for you to say. I mean, I think that, you know, as a, as a writer and performer and a, a musician myself, I don't play piano, I play very badly, very badly. But I think that, you know, it's sucking in the stories that you hear and you see around you. I used to live in Ealing Broadway and had to go to Deptford to a studio. So that's two hours on the tube on the central line. And I would just sit there and suck in everybody else's stories and just write things down, right? And I think that this, for you, what I love about your writing is this, the way the, that you're telling the stories. I mean, love and affection, I'm not in love, but I'm open to persuasion. It's the way you tell the story, right? And it's the way that you translate how you're feeling or thinking or what you've seen into the words, I mean, that's where the talent is. So even though you're saying, you know, you didn't do nothing, it's like, mm, you know, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, I loved going to the library. Yeah, me too. All the time. So I would be reading all the classic books that you read when, you know, you know it was my growing up years. Uh, so it would be Shakespeare, it would be Dickens, it would be... Um, mm. And it'd be all the all the things you know, it'd be Treasure Island, it'd be all the things that you're supposed to read. Um, and you would sometimes the, the um, librarian would say, because they knew I was coming in all the time. Do you want to read this famous five or whatever you want to read the the, the William books? You know, I just yeah. read anything. Um, and I think reading those things gave me a sense of language as well. Gave me that storytelling thing. Um, and I just, I just got into that. And yeah. like you say, as a songwriter, you, you're going to observe. And I was always very good at observing. I like telling this story of when I wrote um, The Shouting Stage, because I was in Australia and I was in a, 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 a restaurant and this couple are having this huge argument. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, you know, everybody's, and in the end, <laughs> everyone's ear wigging. The guy gets up, storms out, and the woman's in in, in tears. And I said, oh, "Why? Why did they get to that shouting thing? What what was it that caused that?" And and I remember even at the time, I was thinking, because it, it, it certain things make you know straight away you're going to write a song about it. So I knew I was going to write a song about it, um, and I was thinking. I bet you I'm the only person in this restaurant that's gone and written a song about these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what songwriters do. And, it, and if you yeah. look at Mark Knopfler with Money for Nothing, same thing. He was in the, the shop, saw the guy who was watching the television who made the comment, Money for Nothing, put him on the MTV. I bet he was the only one who, he might not have been the only one who heard the chap say, but it was, I bet he was the only one who went and wrote something. Because as songwriters, you're observing and you just drink in 
all these stuff that people are... Yeah, are literally, the, the world is our template, you know? I mean, I find that um, I what I love is I love to be walking behind people and I hear a snippet of a conversation, you know? Um, I have a, somebody very close to me, like an old aunt, and, you know, I looked at her one day and I was looking at her and I just saw her just face look so miserable and I just thought god she'd had this really she'd always she's always been miserable you know yeah. and in, in my head the word lyric I heard was you know my my auntie has no laughter lines and that conjured up so many like laughter lines that means she doesn't laugh that means and then that's where the song comes out of you know like and I find that your songs do that so much you know there's a little kind of observation that's just a piece of genius that just flows into a whole much bigger idea, right? Is that how your songs seem to grow out? That's how the songs grow. I mean, most, the majority of the songs are written from observation. They're not generally written from me. I, you know, obviously some things are written from me and, and a lot of things, even though it's not me, some of me will be in it. Because yes. I'm it, so it's, it's, it's gonna happen. But I like to look at things and I don't really want to, tell people every single thing about me. For one thing, I don't think it's that interesting. And another thing, <laughs> and another, it's too invasive. I like yeah. privacy. I like to be able to go somewhere and know that that just belongs to me and the friends that I choose to have. And people will say, well, why don't you tell people more about yourself? And, I, I, and my question always is, if you have 10 friends, do you tell those 10 friends exactly the same bit of information? The answer is going to be no. Hmm. You'll tell some people the most intimate, you know, detailed stuff, and other people will just get a, oh yeah, I had eggs for breakfast. Yeah, you know, I have a question about privacy that I was going to ask you about the end, but I'm I'm going to ask you now because you know I feel like in this generation particularly, you know, that that whole idea of privacy and that whole concept is gone. You know, like they just, it's, I feel like not only is it gone, it's been actively taken away from them because, and I feel like, and taken away from them in a way so they can be exploited. I mean, I feel like me as an artist, I like you are fiercely private, but then we have social media. So that's always trying to pick, pick away. And we have this kind of idea of the, of like people's personal lives and stuff like that is information that we all have rights to, you know, where we have a right to gossip about people. You know, I like, I wrote a book last year and I remember having some fierce battles about, I'm not putting that name in there. I'm not talking about that in that way because I don't want the book to become about, you know, some of the things that personally happened to me that happened to like somebody that was famous because that's what all people are going to talk about. All they want is a nitbit and they gossip a bit. And it's like you're, you're taken away past yourself to complete strangers and it's none of their business. It actually isn't natural. Yeah, exactly. It's not to expose ourselves in such a way that allows us to put ourselves in harm's way because that's what some of those things do. do. When you have so much information, you're allowing people to take advantage of you. And yeah. self-preservation, that's why we're here on this earth for so long. It's self-preservation. Survival. We've, we've looked, yes, we've looked after ourselves. We've made sure that when the mammoth comes, we're prepared, we've got the club and we're going <laughs> to hit it. Well, if you're giving out all the information to everybody, including the mammoth, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. You, you yeah. need to keep things uh, private just for your own, own sanity. And for me, 
I don't care how old fashioned, how boring, how, you know, who does she think she is? This is a new age. I couldn't care less. Oh. Uh, I like privacy and I'm keeping some of it. And it's, and I, and I think that's so, it's so true. Cause I mean, you did it in a time where we kind of could, you know, we kind of could. And that, and now I feel as time goes on, you've, I've just, I mean, for me, you as the seventies, for me, it's the nineties. You've just watched this gradual erosion and erosion. And now there is no thing, no such thing as privacy for people. And I completely agree. It's like the one thing that you have that keeps you sane. And for me, when I was writing a book, it was about also just protecting other people, protecting my family, because they don't get to write a book. So if I spill all their secrets, you know, I'm just exposing yeah. them to stuff and they're not, they're completely opened out and unprotected. So I was, I, I was just going to say, I was going to ask you that question kind of near the end, but as you, as you brought it up, I mean, how do you feel about social media now? Do you have, do you do social media? I actually didn't check that out. I love technology. Te- technology is fantastic. Uh, it brings a lot of benefits. It, it actually can help to bring people closer to, together. Look at, look at our situation now. Uh, with all the different platforms of being able to see somebody as you're talking to them. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I don't subscribe to the put everything that's personal on social media that, because, again, I, I need my privacy, so I can't be doing that. Um, but some people, that's what they want to do, and you can't tell people. Yeah, courses for courses. You have to just let, let people do what they, they want to yeah. do. Some people themselves in really strange situations because they've done that um, and and regretted it. I know personally of somebody who did something that they got themselves into a, a situation because they gave out too much information and they got themselves into trouble yeah. for doing that and, and regretted it um, uh, so much so that they had to move. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so you, you've got to be careful what you're doing. Don't don't miss the fun of it though, because it's a lot of fun. It's, it's and there's a lot of information, and there's a lot of togetherness, and there's a lot of humor. The humor on the net is just <laughs> incredible. Yeah, we're going through all the different Trump things and the pandemic and the this and the that, and in an instant, people would come up with jokes for it. It's just <laughs> brilliant. just yeah. brilliant. <laughs> it, it's, I do love the humor of it. instruments do you play so you play uh, guitar piano i tend to play whatever you know like if i'm writing a song and i think oh that needs a, a harmonica uh, then i'll play the harmonica if i think that needs i mean on my first album i played all kinds of things and i fancy playing a squeeze box on one of the songs so really the squeeze because i know how to play a lot of things it's just that I'm, i write and i think oh that would sound really good if there was a I don't know, a banjo on it or whatever. Mm. I'll yeah. play that for that. Um, or mandolin, I'll play that for that. Um, so it's just, it's not impressive actually, really. It, it really isn't because it, uh, most, I, I don't know any musician who only plays one instrument. Do you, do you know any, uh, a musician who only plays one instrument? No, actually no. I mean, you know, they, they play one well. But we tend to be jack of all trades. We know we I can pick up anything and make a tune on it. But I wouldn't say that I'm a you know because I respect other people who can play. I wouldn't say I play that. But I can if I'm writing, yes, I can put anything together. Yeah, I mean I can play 
I'd say I can play the bass and the guitar and the piano and the mandolin. I can play stuff yeah. well enough to say I can play them, but other things that I would pick up and put in a song, you can say, you wouldn't want me in your band playing that. <laughs> and you know what? It doesn't really matter. Whatever the song needs, it doesn't need to be like a the best player on to, to play two notes. Do you know what I mean? If that's all you need. So I was I was saying, you know what? If I can play bass on it and I can sample it, it's going to work fine. Because yeah. the technology is there to make it work now. Um, now, I heard somebody uh, say, in a, quite a derogatory way, about somebody who pl- who played uh, a synth bass on a a, a, a record a, a song, and I thought, well, what's wrong with that? That's because <laughs> if they can come up with the part for the bass and the synth bass is allowed to sound like a bass, what is wrong with that? To me, that's an achievement. That's good. If you, mm. if you can with stuff and you can play it, nothing wrong with that at all. It's, you know, you shouldn't be have to be an expert bass player on a real bass just because you want to play a bass part that's in your head. Mm, I mean, I think that that's very true. And I also think about in terms of like kids playing music, you know, they can play everything into their computer and a computer, all the software is there for them to work out all the notes and whatever. And I think at the same time, that produces a whole brand new style of music. Yeah. You know, it's it's not everything needs to be played by a bass player. You know, you can play some things are just two notes on a keyboard on a Moog or whatever, you know. So I, I as like you, I think whatever gets the song to sound great, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because we need music to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know you work a lot with kids, right? Or you've done some stuff with kids. Uh, uh well I not kids, the, the young people. Like students, yeah. Kids, yeah. Um, I took um, 52 um, artists on tour with me one year and then I can't remember how many the next year, next wow. time. Um, and so if you were in Birmingham, you played in Birmingham. If you were in Leeds, you played in Leeds. And that was great because the, the guys would have played to, I know, 50 people at the most, and then the next week they're playing to two and a half thousand people. Mm. Um, and that's great. And, and everybody had a really nice time on those tours, just being, um, you, you know, knowing that they're all in the same situation and getting the same opportunity. It was, it was and really- fun for you because every gig you get to see a brand new artist and it's always changing. Yeah. And what I used to do um, uh, when I was abroad, I would always try and get a local artist yeah. to support me. Um, and then I thought, actually, why don't I do that here? Um, because what I would do here is get one artist to support the whole tour, as opposed to if I'm in America, in each city, I get a different yeah. artist. And I thought, that, what, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. So that's how the 52 artists came up, and then the, the 40, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I, I just loved loved doing that, and I loved how everybody else enjoyed it. As well. That sounds like a lot of fun. We've we've done that a few times, especially with bands in Europe. We're just like, okay, we're gonna have a different band every city, yeah. you know. Um, and you get, you know, you get some some, you know, different levels of 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 quality, but still, you know, you get an opportunity for the band that wouldn't normally have got it. I love how you talked about being fearless. Um, a lot of artists, me included, I mean, we're quite shy underneath the bravado. 
Um, but I think there's that kind of juxtaposition of where the songs come from someone. So I mean, it's like, you know, you're shy, shy, shy. You're kind of like, oh my God, I've got to go on stage, walk on stage, you're king of the stage, like instant king of the stage. How was it for you? I mean, it's, it's, I know you talk about being fearless and being shy and that juxtaposition between being a confident person who's going to stand there and sing the songs with like bravado, but then behind feeling like, um, like, oh, how am I going to do this? Is that still how you feel, or do you, you feel you've conquered some of those demons? No, I'm, I'm very good at appearing not as shy, which mm. at my age, I should be able to be. <laughs> what happens with me is I, I don't know how I managed to go on stage for the first time because I yeah. was so shy. I don't know how I did it, but, but I do know how. I did it because I wanted people to know the songs, and that yeah. was the way to get people to know the songs. What happens with me is... Before getting on stage, I'm incredibly nervous. I mean, like sick feeling nervous, it's horrible. But as soon as I get onto the stage, all these people are looking at me and I will not have all these people look at me and I can't do what I get on, <laughs> on the stage to do. I will not have it. <laughs> <laughs> the pride kicks in. Absolutely, I've got to get on with it. It's no good me going out there and going, yeah. You know, at the point of standing up there, and they've paid their money as well, you know, it's not good me getting up there and not delivering this thing that they're expecting. That's, that's my job to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's the, the reason that I can get up and do it and, and, and it works is because I don't want to let myself down and I don't want to let the people down who've come to enjoy the, the performance. That's still tough, though, to still have so much. Um, I don't think people realise of artists how much um, sometimes it takes to walk on the stage. I mean, in the early days for me, I would literally be physically shaking, like shaking. And I would put myself, I got over it by putting myself in a position of like, I've said yes, I've said yes, I've just, I can't say no at the last minute. So now I have to do it because I've said yes. People underestimate how it, we make it look easy, but it's terrifying, right? <laughs> It is terrifying because you, you you actually do have to get over the fact that everybody's looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're saying, "Okay, John, you, you've arrived. Let's see what you made of. Let's 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 hear you play that guitar. Let's hear that song that we've come to hear. Let's see if you can hit those notes." You know, they're they're, they're expecting something from. Yeah. Um, and. You don't want to, as I say, you don't want to let yourself down by not being able to deliver. Yeah. And then when you into it and you, you, the, sh the show starts and you do more and more songs as these evenings getting, going on, it's a really, really, really enjoyable experience. It's absolutely fantastic. When, when I'm on stage, uh, whether by myself and I'm playing, I'm listening to me, or I'm on stage and I'm listening to musicians, I think, is that bass player that he's just played that little riff there that he didn't play last night I'm listening out for stuff like that all yeah. the time I'm listening to how impressed am I going to be with the people who are with me on stage and I'm generally impressed um, yeah because you have to remember that it, it is my show and the people have come to see me and they, 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 my name's on the ticket and they, that's the primary reason that they're there but since those other guys are there they don't want somebody who's there not doing good. They want somebody who's there who's, so they can say, oh yeah, did you hear that 
See, they had a keyboard player with John. He was yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the whole setup. Everyone's there, you know, you know, yeah. The whole setup is important. Yeah, very um, important. I'll go further than the, the road crew is very important. Mm. You get a good road crew and everybody's working together because we, we couldn't really do it without the road crew. Listen, certain... I, if I was to start telling you about the road crews that we've had back in the day, I mean, we used to have one guy that used to, everybody used to walk into the room happy. And half, half an hour with this guy, the whole crew would be like miserable and moaning like a bad apple. And, I, you know, it's a, it, we've learned our lessons the hard way. I mean, crew are vital. They're so vital. I mean, they just keep you, you know, you don't want to walk on stage and the string breaks in the first song. You know, you want those strings to be checked and sorted. I mean, I, I'm different from you in that, that I don't get nervous anymore. I get nervous when I feel like something's not right or something's not going wrong. We did a whole tour with our main Sandman. He does Lady Gaga as well, so he had to disappear. So we had this other guy once, and a lighting guy as well. And we were like, I just, I walk on stage thinking, I don't know if he's going to get a lighting right. Then that would make me nervous, you know. So I think they do. Now when I know the crew's there, the lighting is there, the right sound meant that I don't, that stops me from being nervous. I can just go on stage. Three songs in, I'm flying. I've forgotten yeah. what I'm doing. I'm just so happy and jumping around like an idiot. Yeah, she's got to get into it. But uh, I wish I could do the, the walk on stage and I'm immediately over it. Unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Takes a minute. When I was uh, just doing my research, I found, um, I know you've done a recent, more recent documentary. I love the documentary when you went back to St. Kitts, which is where you're from. Um, yeah. I, uh, just for our audience, you came to England when you were seven, um, but you were born in Brennan, St. Kitts, and you went back to your original house. And I, I was watching it th- thinking a sense of like, this is wonderful footage to see. It's, I mean, you look amazing, by the way. I love the little turnips on the sleeves, a little white outfit with a big afro. I could never get my hair to do that. You know, I'm always jealous when I ever see someone of a, you know, Angela Davis full on afro. But um, I was like looking at it with a sense of like, this is wonderful for me to see, but you look quite awkward most of the time as well. You look a bit like, oh my God, this camera's following me and this is so embarrassing. I mean, I remember when I went back to Jamaica as a child and I felt like, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to fit in here. And I think this whole sense of like, I was walking around and I really felt like, oh, she's feeling like she's not fitting in, like she can't do these dances and whatever. And, you know, like, I'm like, I'm from a reggae family. I can't sing reggae, cannot sing reggae. I can sing the music I can sing and that's it. How is that for you? Because I mean, for me, I I had this whole identity crisis when I came back. It's like, well, black people in England are not seen as being British. I went to Jamaica. I saw as being not, I wasn't seen as being Jamaican. You know, did you get that sense of of identity crisis or you felt like I was fine? It wasn't that for me. What it was for me was um, exactly what you said. The cameras are following me. I yeah. didn't really want to do the documentary. <laughs> and so I was very conscious of the camera uh, following me. And there's a there's a bit, I'm telling the story against myself, but there's a bit where I come down from the plane. And, yes, uh, and the still, the still uh, choir. Yeah, I see all the still band in the choir. And I turn to go away because I thought I was in the way for somebody coming. 
<laughs> that was actually. <laughs> You're like, who's behind me? <laughs> you know. So, you know, it's it's an embarrassing, and I was shy then, you know, but shy. So I'm kind of a bit awkward that all this stuff is happening around me, and the cameras are following me, and this is happening for me. And it's it's quite a lot to take in when you're mm. not really necessarily into that side of it. Because so, the, the, the cameras are what the thing that makes everybody pay attention. I always find like when I go into public places and someone's got a camera, I also, also find it really embarrassing because everyone's like, why is there a camera on her? Who's she? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in Brixton one time I was dying. I was like, who she? They're looking at me like, who is she? Why she got a camera on her? Why is she, you know, bumping up the place with a big old light in the middle of the dark room? <laughs> What's it like being back in St Kitts? Really lovely. Um, what What did you feel like when you walked into your old house? Well, I was three when I left St Kitts, so I don't have the memory of St Kitts. I was. My father was from St Kitts. My mother was from Antigua, and I left St Kitts when I was three. Went to Antigua and left yeah. Antigua when I was seven. To the, to the UK so I haven't got memories of Aunt, of St Kitts to know that this was the house you know yeah um, so uh, but I did feel when I went to St Kitts that it was a it was a place for me you know it felt like a home place in this in exactly the same way as when I went to Africa for the first time it felt like a home place it yeah. felt like oh this is where these guys come from mm. um but um, it didn't feel, I didn't feel, I don't belong here, I belong there. And, I, and then when I'm here, I don't feel like I don't belong here, I belong there. I just, wherever I am. You liked it all. As I, said. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much you want to go into this, but you were the first kind of black woman that when I was a child that was singing and songwriting and producing her songs that I saw on TV anywhere. And I think about how difficult it was for me in the 90s to a certain point, because it was also not difficult because I wasn't taken on the weight of everybody else's isms and schisms, you know. I mean, how was that for you back then? You know, because I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, you were the only black woman in this room and the only black woman at this concert and the only black woman here, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know that people always want the answer I, I give, but I'm so blinkered in this is what I'm doing, this is, this is what I want out of this, that I don't necessarily notice all the stuff that's happening around me. Yeah. So people telling me, you do realise that you're the first to do this, you're the first female singer-songwriter. It, it's other people telling me rather than me being conscious of it and, and having it as a goal. Yeah. Then, no goal. What my goal was to write the best songs I possibly could and help people. Yeah. She is brilliant. The <laughs> <laughs> song, you know, we 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 want to hear that song like forever. And, yeah. and I, people they play their, their funerals, their weddings, their they name their children. All of the things that, as a songwriter, you want to happen happens, and that's really what I'm interested in. So. I'm very proud of some of the things that, that have happened and that people have told me, but they're not things that, that I set out to do. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, even this, even the, being the first female artist to have success in single songwriting, that wasn't a plan either. I mm. didn't think, oh, here's a, I don't see another woman 
guitar is playing like this, so I better work out how to play like this so that I'll be the first. That didn't happen. All I did was I thought, I want to write a song. I know that it's got a bass part. Let me try and play that bass part on the thing. I know it's got a rhythm. Let me try and play. So I'm trying to play everything on the guitar. So a style develops just because I'm trying to do everything myself. Yeah. On the, um, so it's, it, there's no plan. There's no design. And I, I, it's years, years, years later that I heard of Sister Rosetta Tharp. And um, great guitarist, really good yeah. guitarist. Uh, at the point of my start starting out, I didn't know her. Um, so she wasn't an influence, but I'm sure if I'd heard her, she probably would have been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even though she was there, I still managed to do some firsts that she hadn't done. Of course, um, yeah. So also, also, she was American, so, you know, coming from she, a different... Yeah. yeah. So here, here, definitely, there was nobody else that... And, yeah. I was doing what I was doing. Um, and, and again, not by design. Not by yeah, design. I, I, I always say to people, like, you know what? You don't always need icons. Just be the first. Don't worry about, yeah. like, you having to see someone be, be there before you. If there isn't, just be the first. Do, do what you're going to do anyway. Yeah, just absolutely. Just do what you're going to do. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. People are very good at telling you you can't do it. Yeah. Some, <laughs> somebody they gave my career five years. Wow. <laughs> wow. How rude. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, you, you mustn't let people tell you things. If you, if you have a belief in yourself, and also obviously you have to be true to yourself and truthful to yourself. Don't mm. say, I'm really good, but you know you're not really good. You, you see that on X Factor and things like that. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, honey, honey, you really need to be able to hear yourself because, you know, that's not going to swing it. But listen, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. So I've got one more question for you. Well, one and a half. When my producer, Nick, um, his dad heard that um, we were going to do this interview, he totally freaked out. He'd seen you 10 times. But one of the places that he saw you was at Blackbush, a picnic at Blackbush. Bob Dylan's um, concert, and just for our audience, because I know some of our audience won't have heard of it, but Bob Dylan did this amazing concert called Picnic uh, at Blackbush, um, which I think was an airport field, right? Um, and it was 200,000 people, which was the most anybody has ever got together for one artist, even now. And Eric Clapton played, Graham Parker played, um, loads of people, and of course, you. Yeah. So that must have been, it's 1978, by the way, but that must have been absolutely incredible. What was it like? What are your memories from that day? How did you get the gig? Well, the, that's actually what I was going to mention. The people that were on the, the concert, because it was Bob Dylan's concert. Yeah. Um, he chose the people that would play. Cool. So he paid to be, uh, to play. Amazing. Um, so that was, yeah, that was that was great, and it was an absolutely brilliant day. And you you look out and you just see this sea of faces, um, and it was just something to just really enjoy. And I and even today, you, uh, people still say to me, "I saw you at Blackbush." Yeah, which is everybody was there. Everybody was there. It was just wonderful. Great backstage atmosphere. Um, loads of well-known artists were there as well. I, I heard you. I saw you, you met your first Beatle there. Yeah, I met Ringo Starr there. <laughs> um, and that was nice. Um, we were both 
little bit shy actually. Um, oh. But yeah, that was that was really really nice. It was an absolutely brilliant day, and I, I loved that I was asked to do it, and I loved everybody that was on it. It was just it was just wonderful. It was mm. Wonderful. God, um, well, I mean, gosh, I wish, I wish. I think I was eleven years old, so. <laughs> I was I wasn't getting taken I wasn't going being taken from Brixton there unfortunately but I would have loved to have been there. Um what is next? I mean number one what's your studio setup? Just just as an early question for me. What you got set up in your house, right? What's your studio setup? You, oh, are house. you using software like Logic or anything like that or is it um still old school or It's not in my house and old school was never me because whatever the technology of the day is, I moved to it. So I started off with my, my little cassette, then I went to my four track, my eight track, my 16 track, my 24 track. But as soon as computers came in, I went to computers. You know, as soon as the software came in, like Logic or whatever, I went to that. So I, I, I'm never old school, as it were. I yeah, just... I feel I'm the same. You got a new, yeah, it's all, it's all there to make it easy and faster for us. I don't want, I don't like to think of myself as trying to play catch up i want to be there doing the thing as because we are now uh you know we are now so we need to be in the now uh, so i try and do that um so yeah i, I use logic and the, the only thing that you might think is old school is that when i write a song i i actually write the song yeah i'll on the guitar on the piano write the song before and I then do record it, it. Right, I write it, I don't do any arrangements, like, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that. I write the song, so I know I can play that song just on the guitar or the piano, and it's a song. Once yeah. I do that, then I'll start working on the arrangements. Yeah. It's a bit old school, because I think people don't... Yeah, I mean, that's how we do it still. I mean, I think that's the thing about songwriting, is that if you can sit there and play on a guitar or piano or simply, then you've kind of got a song. I mean, otherwise, it's kind of a groove with words, which I don't know, just to people who do that, um, for me, I think, like you, you know, um, it's the roots and the soul of the song is just in a simple way, you know, simplicity. Yeah, absolutely. And and so um, you're right. And what's next for you? Um, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, it's not looking good for touring again this year, really, is it? <laughs> you know. Um, I made an album. Um, cool. I made an album, and because as I say, I can do it all myself, so I just do it. Um, you must have thousands of songs sitting there in your little vault. I'm not a thousands of songs person. I, when I write a song, I have to write it and finish it. So I don't have lots of unfinished songs. Right. When I write a song, I write it, I finish it. If I don't like it, I'm still going to finish it. Mm. Chuck it, but I'm still going to finish it. Then I'll move mm. on to the next one. Um, so, and I tend to write, if I write a few more than I need, it's not really, I tend to write what I need. But there's 22 albums, so I write a lot. All right. So listen, thank you for all the time you give me. It's a real pleasure to be able to have you on the show and to big you up because I don't think enough people need to, you know, be reminded and be aware of what a genius journal armor trading is. I mean, lyrically, it's incredible the body of work you have. So thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, coming to the show. But how great that we can do this. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. 
She was everything I hoped for. That was Joan Arbitrating on Skin Things. Don't forget, if you haven't heard any other episodes of Skin Things, they're all available. Debbie Harry, Billy Corgan, Shelley Manson and more. What are you waiting for? Give them a go. And as usual, please give Skin Things a follow and a nice rating. Much obliged. I'm on the radio on Sunday evenings, 10 to 12. If you want to hear me playing some of my favourite tunes, new and old, or catch up with the Skin Show on demand on the Absolute Radio app. Next time on Skin Tings, I'm joined by not one guest, not two, not three, but four of the best musicians to form a rock band, as far as I'm concerned. I'll be catching up with Vernon, Corey, Will and Doug from Live in Colour. And I can't wait. See you then. (laughs) 